Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 219. And today I have three guests from the organization Legacies of War. So welcome Brendan, Sarah, and Alina. I'll get into specifically what they do, but I'll give you a bit of context first. We have talked about the Secret War a bit on here before, but if you are unfamiliar, the Secret War was basically a proxy war. Really, you could kind of think of the Vietnam War as a proxy war as well, during the Cold War between the United States and Russia. But specifically in regards to Laos, from 1964 to 1973, the United States dropped more than 2 million tons of bombs on Laos. It's equal to a plane load of bombs every eight minutes, every single day for nine years. That is an extraordinary amount of ordnance. And millions of bombs never exploded. So those are called UXOs, unexploded ordinances. And even today, currently in 2021 in Laos, people unknowingly come across some of these ordinances that have been embedded within the ground because they were dropped out of airplanes and they're going off. And every year there are people who are killed by these ordinances and people who are injured by them. And so already <laughs> the bombing campaign to me is wrong. But we're now talking about 40, 50 years past the time that this happened and there are real world tangible ramifications of this. The secret war also led to the displacement of many Lao and the real start of the diaspora because there are many Laotians who became refugees and first went to Thailand and then on to other places like the United States. And so Legacies does a lot of work. They do advocacy where they push for legislation, they push for funding and for diplomacy and agreements so that the countries who were responsible in the past can assist in remedying the situation today. Prior to our conversation, I was thinking to myself, well, this seems so fixable. It doesn't really seem like it would be a political issue to say, hey, the countries that are able to and the countries who have a responsibility to clearing out these bombs, it's not like new bombs are falling. It seems like they can be removed, and I know that maybe I'm reducing it. It's, it's tricky to remove them. It's not an easy thing to do, or actually what they do often is, is explode them first. But it seems like there would be an end in sight because while there are a ton of bombs, there are a finite number. And once they're cleared, they're cleared. And so Legacies is providing the education, but also the advocacy to push to remove these bombs. And they were quite successful in campaigning or 
really pushing the Obama administration to providing more assistance. If you remember, he had gone on like a tour through Southeast Asia. He was on an episode of Bourdain where they they had buncha and beers and stuff like that. And as part of that campaign, he visited Laos. Now they also, they being legacies, provide a platform for stories from the Laotian diaspora. They do talks. They have a library. They have movie nights. They have all sorts of documents and education on their website, which is fantastic. If you're a teacher, primary source documents, secondary source documents. It's really fantastic. There was a Senate committee that had investigated the secret war quite a long time ago. And they have that committee's findings and the transcription of, of, of the communications about that. They do so much work that I'm going to ask you to go to their website and to follow their Instagram to see all of it because I can't capture all of it here in my intro. But it's really quite extraordinary. What is that, that statue? I think it's called Atlas, right? Like the guy holding up the globe on his back. That to me makes <laughs> is a perfect analogy to this organization. It's very small. There's the three core folks and then a board and interns. But to me, they're like, you know, the pebble in, in the shoe of the giant that brings the giant to its knees. They're doing something quite extraordinary. You know, I was asking them like, well, how, how did you get legislation? How did you get more funding? Because there's so many people that would love to support their, the cause that they work for and to get in the ear of the president of the United States, one of the most popular, uh, powerful people in the world. And they've been able to do that. So I'm going to be following along with the work that they do. And I would implore you to do that as well, because they're going to go on to do really, really incredible things. So again, go to the show notes for this episode and you will find their website and their social media. Follow my Instagram. This is like the week of what we're, well, this will be out around April 8th-ish. So for the next week or so, follow mine. I'll do some potential giveaways and stuff like that. And also there will be a link to my Patreon account in the show notes. And that's a service where you can get some cool kickbacks. But if you only have a bit of money to, to spend this month, donate it to, to Legacies. Become a member of the circle. You could get a cool shirt. And your money is going towards uh, a really good cause. So, okay. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the folks from Legacies of War. Well, again, thank you for, for being here. Um, it's actually been a long time in the works, like longer than you all know, because I've been admiring your work for a while. Um, I'm going to give you sort of my intro slash mission statement to this conversation, but why don't we first just uh, give us your name and what you do with your organization so that whoever's listening can put uh, a name to a voice. Great. Well, hi, everyone. Um, I'm Sarah Guadara. I'm the executive director here at Legacies of War, or as um, my friends and colleagues call me, the commander in chief. <laughs> hi, everyone. I'm Alina Intali, and I am 
the chief of staff at Legacy so far. Um, been here for a long time now. It started off as a volunteer at Legacies for 10 years, and now I'm a full-time staff member. So really great to be here. Hi, my name is Brendan Stewart. Um, I'm the Chief of Mission Advancement at Legacies of War. And on the flip side of that, I'm, I have not been here for a very long time. Um, I've been here for a couple of weeks, still learning the ropes, but I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you all. So again, thank you for, for doing this. I promise this will be the only time I, well, no, maybe I can't promise that, but uh, this will be a, a bit of a long, weird tangent maybe as I intro this, this conversation. But I think it was 2016 that I went to Laos for the first time, or the only time really. But um, I get a month, or I did at the time, get a month off in the summers working in education um, because it wasn't public. And I know people will be like, wow, that's a lot of time. I would love to have a whole month off in the summer. And that, that is true. I'm really fortunate to have been able to have that. But to be able to do the sort of long, slow travel that I like to do, uh, it's not that conducive to it. So I tried to pack in a lot into, into that month. And this was really like in the, the second year of, of me really getting out into the world and seeing things. So um, I didn't know a whole lot about Laos. I know that, or I knew that uh, Kuang Si waterfall looked really majestic and it was something that I wanted to go see. I had heard about the almsgiving for uh, the monks who come by and, and giving them sticky rice and something to eat. And that all sounded new and unique to me, being someone from, you know, New York and New York City. And so I went. But again, I didn't know a lot about the history. And I got there and it's having been in, in Bangkok and even Chiang Mai, which are just like really crazy, frenetic, lots of lights, lots of sounds, lots of visual stimulation. It was just so relaxed and, and really a respite from the travels that I had been doing in a lot of cities. And so I did those things. I, I went to the waterfall and I, I thought it was beautiful and it was amazing to go to swim in it and to be there with my friends, the ones that traveled with me and the new ones that I made. Um, but I learned quickly <laughs> that there's a, an extensive history to Laos that, that I had no idea about. And I'm sorry that I can't remember the name, but I, it may even be like the, the UXO Museum but somebody had taken me to a museum there. It's like partly outdoors, partly indoors, where they introduced me to, to some of the history of, of the secret war. And, um, you know, I started to learn a lot more. And so when I came back, I was like, okay, I want to feature Lao American guests and, and have some of this, this story on. And since then I have, and, you know, I've had the folks from Article 22 uh, and some other folks and the thing that I used to prepare for those conversations and to educate myself was your website, which has just an extensive history and, and primary documents and secondary documents and just so much stuff. So um, I want to thank you for that because I think you're providing an education that not many people were previously providing. Uh, I have a an undergraduate degree in history. I have a master's in teaching history. And so it is quite embarrassing to say that I knew nothing about this at the time. 
Um, so that's 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 my long intro. But even though we've covered some information from the Secret War on this podcast, I think that's probably where we should start. Uh, if if you're able to, as as concise as possible, I guess uh, explain what that was and kind of continues to be because of UXOs. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for that intro and for your kind words. Um, we're thrilled that we were able to be a part of that learning process for you. Um, and, and just so thankful that um, our website can be this um, bridge, you know, between like just helping people to understand um, more to Laos than just you know, of course, I wouldn't argue with you about the beauty of Kwangsi Falls, but, you know, there, there's so much more to the history that you're absolutely right, Tim. The majority of American public do not know about. So, um, you know, to, to start with that history, and I think it's very important to, to dive right in because that is the reason why legacies of war exist today. Um, so, between 1964 and 1973, um, the U.S. dropped over 2.1 million tons of ordnance on Laos during 580,000 bombing mission. This is an equivalent to a plane load of bombs every eight minutes, 24 hours a day for nine straight years, earning Laos the unwanted title of being the most bombed country in the world per capita. So, you know, of all the bombs that were dropped, about one third of it failed to detonate. That means today, about a third of the country is littered with bombs. So, you know, that's a long, long time, right? Like from 1964 to 1973, all the way till today, less than 1% of those bombs that were dropped that didn't detonate have been cleared. And this, this is very, very problematic because there's about 25,000 plus people who have been killed or injured since the war ended. And I just want to also share with our listeners as well that the U.S. was not at war with Laos. This was part of a bombing campaign to destroy the supply routes of the Vietnamese since the U.S. was at war with Vietnam during this time. So, you know, the reason why Legacy of War was founded is to tell this exact history, right? Like at the very best, it is a footnote in a history book that someone, you know, if they happen to have the, the teacher that cared about this actually shared with them or stumble upon a book that actually mentions this. At best, it is a footnote. Um, most of the people out there, you know, do not know about this. So Legacies was founded in order to one, spread more awareness about this history that happened. And two, I think like the most important is to be a solution to this problem, making sure that we're on the Hill every day advocating for funding in order to like continue to demine as well as provide assistance to victims who are living without a limb, you know, living perhaps, um, blind. You know, you mentioned a museum that you went to, and my guess would be that you probably went to the Cope Museum, where you probably saw some of the prosthetics that that are hanging on the walls, the bomb chandeliers, and all these other different types of ordnance that were dropped in Laos, right? Um, I, you know, I, I think like many people, it's hard for them to understand, right? Um, I also want to reiterate that like 2.1 million tons of bombs 
This can range anywhere between a 3,000 pound bomb to a small bomb that looks like a ball, right? Um, you know, as take this year alone, like February 4th, there were five school children who were walking home um, and they noticed something like on the side of the road that resembled like a ball. And they started picking it up as boys would do and threw it around and it exploded immediately, killing two of these children. And they were all under the age of 10. And the other three that were right next to these other kids are less severely injured. You know, these children are going to have to live with these injuries for the rest of their lives. Depending on how bad it is, some may not be able to walk anymore. So our organization exists in order to tell the story and make sure that people know that, you know, despite treaties being signed saying that the war was over, the war is not over for the people of Laos. Um, farmers can't farm their land safely. Children can't walk to school safely. People, you know, don't have access to build roads, you know, infrastructure. Like it's, it's this constant like domino effect of all problems that are associated with an event that happened five decades ago. Um, it has this effect where you can't run away from it, right? Like this problem can only be mitigated. It cannot um, be eliminated from everyday life. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, first of all, uh, I know a lot of this is is tough stuff and I'll probably stumble my way through some of it because I'm sort of like figuring out my thoughts as we speak about this stuff. So um, thank you for like indulging me and, and maybe letting me sound a little bit foolish if, if, if I'm uncertain about something. But it's, I've always said like when, you're traveling, you sort of have to understand how you fit into the ecosystem of travel. And I'll give an example of, um, in, in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh city, the place that a lot of tourists go and a lot of like pub crawling, you know, 18 year old travelers, uh, go is this street called Bui Vien street in, um, in district one. And there, there's nothing like, Vietnamese about it. It's just like a place that a bunch of people go and, and get drunk. But as you would see in any city where people are, people have disposable income and are just spending money on things that don't matter, like alcoholic beverages, uh, there are people who are begging or street performing or, you know, trying to get some of that money. And, you know, you'll see people turn their head away or avert their eyes away from people who are, legless or people who were born a generation after the generation who went through the, through the war in Vietnam and they have really bad effects through things like Agent Orange and the pregnancies that were affected by that. And I, I don't know that I have anything profound to say, but I, I do see a parallel to like tubing down the Namsong River, <laughs> but not paying attention to the fact that when you're in town, you know, there, there's a, a kid who is on the street asking you for money and, and he's missing a limb. And that is because there are unexploded ordinances from 40 now, what, 50 years ago at this point. And it, it's, it's a crazy thing to grapple with. I, I guess I don't necessarily have a, have a point about it other than 
you shouldn't avert your eyes and, and you should learn about it and you should uh, share in the learning about it. So, yeah. And, and you're, you're doing just that Tim, right? Like um, um, you actually made me think of um, something else that I think it's very important to also point out, right? Like, so during this period, the sixties and the seventies, right? The population of Laos was a mere 2.2 million. And during the span of that nine years of bombing, there were 700,000 plus people who were displaced from their home. They became refugees. You know, that includes like people like my parents, right? Um, who had to leave their home behind in order to avoid danger. Um, they left and fled. You know, some of them went outside and to the US or Europe or Canada or elsewhere, right? Um, that's just like having scattered family, like being forced to start new lives elsewhere. So that's one of the impacts of this. But, you know, for us, we, we typically only talk about unexplored ordinance or UXO, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention too that the legacies of war are many. There are also landmines, there's other explosive remnants of war, and there's also Agent Orange that you mentioned, you know? Um, not a lot of people are aware that Agent Orange was also used in Laos. But there was a huge New York Times article written by George um, George Black that was just um, that was just published a couple of weeks ago that that explains just this. You know, some of um, the people that you may have seen during your travel with disabilities, these are children born decades after the war was over. But the impact of Agent Orange is genetic, right? But the impacts of these weapons that are designed to do one thing, which is to kill, right? Like, and I'm holding the half of a Bombi in my hand. Um, these are the one that you see the most of in Laos. 270 millions of these were dropped. So, you know, they continue to kill to this day. Like, and the wounds of war, if you will, are not just felt like from a physical level of the people who are still living in Laos and living in harm's way, but they also are experienced from people living in the U.S., right? Meaning the people who had to flee, who are now American citizens, um, or the descendants of these people, right? Like Alina, for example, right? Um, you know, she may not have experienced the war herself. She may not have been born in Laos, but she feels the impact of this in a different way. Um, you know, I, I would also add, too, that um, Legacies of War's pillar is history, healing, and hope. You know, and this is where, like, this is what guides are the programs that we have, like, um, as part of our mission, right? Like the history aspect I already shared with you as well, spreading more awareness, allowing people to know about this and learn about this unconventional history, if you will. Um, healing goes into all of the different initiatives that we have, which I'll ask my colleagues um, to help share. But the final one is hope, right? Like, this is a problem that we can solve. Like, we know how to solve this. We just detonate the bombs, remove them, right? And care for the victims and their family. Like, we know how to do it. We just have to make sure that there's money there in order to get the job done. And, you know, Tim, like, cause optimists, but we know that we can do this within our lifetime with the right help. All right, so let me maybe, because... I've got so many, so many thoughts on this and so many notes on this. Let me maybe set you up for this then. Um, 
it, it's an analogy, so just bear with me. Um, the the movie Boogie came out a couple weeks ago, and completely different story, completely different history. But one of the things I think Eddie Huang was was Boogie's uncle or like older cousin. But one of the stories he was telling him was sort of the that first generation immigrant or first generation refugee and all of the things that they've had to deal with from searching for community to racism to potentially not knowing the language um, and how that then impacted subsequent generations who did grow up as whatever, Kenyan Americans, um, Taiwanese Americans, Lao Americans. Uh, can you... I don't. I don't know if anyone on the call has experience with that, or if if you can maybe explain it better than than I just did now. But can you talk about how that sort of impacts future generations, and like you said, sort of like uh, creates a legacy? Alina, yeah, <laughs> um, I would gladly jump in here because um, you know I come from that perspective. I um, grew up, was born thousands of miles away from Laos. And like you, Tim, I didn't learn about the secret war in Laos until I was in college. And coming from a Laotian family, um, my dad was a refugee and he actually didn't share that with me until I was 18. So I was growing up in the dark for most of my life, I didn't really know how to explain to people growing up here in the U.S., you know, in the suburbs of Virginia, uh, people would ask me, oh, Alina, where is your family from? You know, your last name is Intali, which is really weird. It's not an actual, you know, it's not a common Lao last name because it's made up. I can kind of get into that a little bit as well. But when my dad came from Lao, uh, he changed our last name from Siri Sai, which has like 16 characters, to just Intali, which are his grandparents' nicknames that he put together. And it was because he was afraid that the Lao government was following him to the U.S. Um, because my grandfather fought uh, for the Royal Lao Army um, alongside the, the Americans. So that was very complex. And I didn't know any of this. And um, it was when I started to unravel my story, my history, uh, which is when I started to kind of realize like, wow, all these different stereotypes that I see on, you know, the TV of mostly the East Asian narrative, right? Like I could not really identify with any of the portrayals or representation um, that I saw in American media. And I thought I was wrong. I thought there was something wrong with me. I was like, you know, I used to tell people that I'm from Thailand because it was easier to say that instead of Lao. Because when I said Laos, and I call it Lao um, because my, my parents call Laos Lao. Um, so uh, just to give our listeners, you know, like a reason why I call it Lao versus Laos. I mean, either of them is not right or wrong, but... Yeah. It's just how, you know, I say uh, are called Lao in Laos. Um, but I, I, it was just so weird for me to be like, oh, you know, I'm Lao. And this is where Lao, Lao is. People will be like, I don't know what that is. 
what do you mean Laos? You're from a cloud? And I'm like, no, I'm from the country Laos, which is next to Thailand. And so I would just, I was so sick of it. And I would just be like, no, I'm from Thailand because that was the easiest way, right? And so while I kind of discovered the secret history of the secret war and the background of my refugee parents, um, it was like that realization that the model minority myth um, you know, that's been created, that's been written um, by so many here in the U.S., what's publicly known as like, you know, Asian Americans have, they're, they're, they're doctors, they're, they're succeeding in life. Like, I never understood that. And I still don't to this point, because Southeast Asians, we didn't experience that. You know, Vietnamese, Cambodian, Lao, refugees that came over after the Vietnam War, even to this day, my father still works as a janitor. You know, my mom works at a donut shop and she's been there for 30 years. And so when I explain the origins of Southeast Asian diaspora, it goes very deep, um, especially within the context of racism against Asians and, you know, the history behind that here in the U.S., um, this is very much linked and we can't forget this is why our work is so important because we are in a way not necessarily rewriting the history because um, the history was always there, right? It's, it's we're making it visible now. It's, it's it, we're making it and putting it out in front and saying that this is our truth. And um, those narratives that existed before, that was only a piece of it. This is the whole puzzle. We're collecting all those puzzle pieces, pieces, framing it, and then being like, everybody look at this image right here. This is the full story. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very powerful being in this space, being able to work at legacies while still being able to tell my story because I didn't understand the power behind it before. But now when I'm able to go up and we're doing like advocacy work or we're, we're mobilizing people um, on the grassroots level, you know, we constantly say like as descendants of um, Laotians or descendants of the Southeast Asian diaspora, your story needs to be written down. It needs to be recorded. You need to capture these narratives because without them, the story is incomplete. Um, so, you know, as a first generation, second generation, third generation American, we're, we feel the, the, the impact. And that impact is something that can't be seen. You know, Sarah was mentioning a little bit earlier that there are all these physical aspects, right, of you can see clearly how the bomb is littered. There's craters everywhere when you go to Laos. But the the impact upon generations like like me, you know, the younger generation, you can't see it because it's it's through mental health. It's through trauma that's passed down from our parents. It's through having to pick up the pieces of our, our identity and having to pick up the pieces of the history that was never told to us. And then having to write those stories down, like that is traumatic. Um, and I'll just, you know, kind of, I'm going on a tangent, but <laughs> there is a lot of healing work that happens when discussions are open. 
you know, we provide those spaces, the safe spaces for people within the community to, to be able to feel empowered enough to share their, their story, to be able to, to say like, this is needs to be heard. You know, um, we have all these programs and initiatives where we're like, write it down, tell someone, record what you, what you have to do. And not only that, you know, we're bringing on people within legacies of war to learn and to grow um, and to develop as a leader. And I'm just one of the examples, but <laughs> there's so many other young Laotian Americans, a lot of Southeast Asians as well, who are like, we're waking up and we're going to shout louder than we've ever shouted before. I mean, our parents are very happy about it. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? Like, Don't be so loud. But it's like, if we don't say something, who's going to say it for us, right? Who's going to be there to say it? We have to do it now. Um, so I, I think uh, what I've heard before, I think one of our community psychologists, Dr. Pukang Kelly, she once said that it takes seven generations to go through a cycle of healing. Can you imagine that? Seven generations. And we're just, what, one or two generations out from <laughs> what happened, the secret war, which was, you know, under 50 years ago. Just think about that. If it takes seven generations, then, man, we have a lot of work to do. You made me think of something when you said that it was easier to just say that you were Thai. The, yeah. And maybe this isn't um, a perfect science here, but... The, the prevalence of Vietnamese restaurants in the United States, well, there's a history of Vietnamese refugees in the United States. And you might say, well, why are there so many Thai restaurants? And why have there been so many Thai restaurants for a while? Well, there's not a history of Thai refugees. Like, there's not a Thai diaspora that's tied to war, um, but people may be surprised to know that a lot of the, the Thai restaurants that they have frequented over the years are actually Lao American restaurants that were finding that it was, there's more easily, it was more easily marketed as Thai because that's something that Americans might be more familiar with, which is something I never knew until I started talking to, to Lao chefs on this podcast. You're right, Tim, and I, I probably listened to that that uh, that podcast of yours. Um, I just want to, you know, say to the listeners out there that um, Laos is not next to Thailand. Thailand is next to Laos. <laughs> so just clarify that for our viewers. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think like a lot of what Alina has shared now just really, really is is so important to share, right? Like. Um, the the Asian American experience is so broad. Like, I mean, Asia is the largest continent, right? Um, and it, it it is it is something that is very very similar within the Southeast Asian diaspora community. Stories of like our parents coming here, um, or ourselves coming here as children, right? Like, you're right, Tim. Like, there's the language barriers. There's the cultural barriers. There's also this. Um, you know, I'll share this. 
um, just from my own experience of being like a 1.5 generation, meaning I was born in Laos, raised there until the age of six, and then, you know, coming to the U.S. and learning like this whole new world and, and language. Um, there, for a time, and I actually, you know what, let's just be real. I still struggle with this to this day <laughs> where I have this identity crisis, right? Yeah. Like when I say we, I often question, like, am I referring to, like, we as in Laotians or are we as in, like, Americans? And especially working in advocacy, right? Um, like, we're, we're advocating for Laos from our government. Um, and sometimes it's, there's a struggle because, like, I will always feel this connection to Laos since it's my birth country, my cultural heritage. But I also love this country dearly, you know. Um, I spent more time here than I have in Laos. But it is, it is something that we should really note, right? Like the experience of fleeing from a war-torn country. When my parents came, you know, my dad was a surgeon. My mom's a seamstress. But being in the U.S. with four children, they had to change their whole life. My dad just couldn't go to a hospital and say, like, hey, I'm a surgeon, you know? Um, the degrees there mean nothing here. So he had to start all over, you know, working two to three jobs at a time, um, and making sure that they were able to care for their children, you know, like there's, this is probably an extreme case, but my parents had to make, make a decision of like separating their children at one point. So my brother, um, Bay, my older brother and I ended up living with our aunt, right? For a short period of time, um, actually, I wasn't really sure, it was a couple of years, while my older sister and younger brother stayed with my parents until they can get back on their feet. Right now, imagine what that is doing to like, like our our lives, right? Like um, by being in a whole new country, we're set back generations. Meaning, um, from a competitive standpoint, right? Like we're we're not having the same resources as like my counterparts out there. Um, growing up, like we had to really, really like fight for everything. You know, my siblings and I would not be able to go to college. And I would dare say, like, uh, the same for Alina and her siblings, um, had it not been, you know, for scholarships and hard work, right? Like, if I didn't get a scholarship, I would never have gone to school. That's, you know, that's the experience of a Southeast Asian, like, um, diaspora uh, whose parents had to, like, flee a one-to-one -one country, right? And my story is not that... Um, shocking because there's numerous stories out there like this. But, you know, one of the biggest things that I also see too, like within the community is that, you know, with, without all of this, um, like it, it, had all of this not been taught to us early on, like meaning the history of why we were here, um, we, we wouldn't be able to understand, like, we're not able to understand it. Right. Like, Alina mentioned that her parents didn't talk about this until like later, right? But even then, they're not 100% opening up, right? My parents were the same way. We had to piece together exactly what was happening and, you know, like why we were here. Like, how did we get here? Um, why do our parents demand that we continue to speak Lao and learn the culture and be like the, the perfect Lao, like daughter, um, when we're raised here, like we're Americans, right? Like we identify as Americans. So, you know, if, if there's any, um, 
anyone out there listening who is a refugee, who lived through the war, who have children, um, I would really like urge them to share as much as they can with their children so that they can understand and really, really like learn their own history and their heritage because much of this is not written down. And what was written down was destroyed during the war, right? Like in addition to the historical sites, many books were destroyed, like many people were destroyed and the people are the owners of these oral history. So, you know, it's so important to talk to, like for children to talk to their parents in a way that helps, helps them heal because, you know, for, at least like for me, I feel like the more I share, the more I heal and the more I understand. And also the more questions that come about, like, why exactly did this happen? You know, how was this, um, you know, even possible? Um, these things come up and sometimes the answers are with our parents, our grandparents. Sometimes they're not. Some Sometimes they don't even fully understand what was going on themselves, right? Like, because this was chaos. Like in addition to the secret war happening, Laos was also at a secret, um, a civil war was happening. Like Alina mentioned a little bit about like her family um, history with the Royal Lao Army. I have kind of maybe a big sort of loaded question. And then I, I promise I'll get to the amazing work that you're doing. Um, <laughs> probably, probably noticing that like I have this giant circular way of getting to the actual question, but um I guess I'll almost like say with the caveat that I, I would hate for anyone to look at what our government has done or even like what they did over these past four years with the previous administration and sort of like look at me and be like, well, that's that's your fault. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that there. But I'm curious about if you have any awareness of maybe that, that first generation or even your thoughts on the fact that a lot of this was caused by the United States. And I, I've heard stories of like the, the planes that the, the bomber planes couldn't land with the bombs. So like on the way back, they would just indiscriminately drop them in Laos because they couldn't land with them. So we'll just, let them fall there, right? Um, I even think, like, I won't curse because I don't know if you guys will share this media also, but, like, like Henry Kissinger was one of, like, was an animal. Like, th this was one of the worst people ever born. And this is Cambodia, but, but this guy was basically given free reign to bomb in the name of preventing the communist takeover. Um but destabilized the country and essentially killed like almost single-handedly responsible for the deaths of like 500,000 people. So even if you think that's a noble cause, goddamn, that is a heavy, heavy statistic, man. Um, so I, I guess my thought is sort of the perspective of coming to the United States as a refugee but also under the context of like, this is the place whose government is responsible for part of the reason that I have to even leave. And I'll finish it with like, there's a parallel to, you know, what happens at the border today in the United States where, where people are saying, well, why are so many Hondurans at our border? 
well, look at the history where we've completely destabilized Honduras and is causing that very migration of people. So I guess my thought is if you have any sort of knowledge of that dichotomy of like coming to the place, but also feeling like that place caused the reason for me to be immigrating. Yeah. Um, you know, that, uh, you bring up, um, just, I was actually just talking about Henry Kissinger earlier today and his exact quote was anything that moves, anything that flies, just kill it. Right. Um, not verbatim, but you get the gist of it. Um, and this is a person that won the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. Yeah, right, um, right. <laughs> so there, there's a lot, but we won't really go into that. Um, I think, you know, before we sort of get into that, like, I would love for Brendan to just talk about the funding that Legacies has been able to help secure, um, because I, I think that that really does help, um, you know, to be to be very fair, like as an American, I'm very proud of the leadership that the U.S. has taken in recent years um, in terms of the funding. Um, and after that, perhaps like I can I can answer like the broader question of just coming here, um, like as you know, as an immigrant to a country that that caused the problem in the first place. Yeah, definitely. And and I know that I, I don't want you to feel like I'm setting you up with that question. Um, it's a big one, but. I do no, have an open book. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just like to be fair, you know, um, I really am proud of like the achievement we've been able to um, influence. Right. And there's so many amazing people like members of Congress who have been helpful. Right. Like all the way to the president himself, President uh, Obama, um, in the year that you went to love. So. Right. And I, I, <laughs> word for word in my notes is how the heck did you get that done? So I guess that, that question is for you, Brendan, like how, how did you, how is this, how is this accomplished? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I guess speaking, speaking my limited experience, um, you know, as you said, the United States is responsible, like in, almost in its entirety for the UXO issue that um, Laos is facing. Uh, in 2016, uh, President Obama pledged $90 million over, over the course of three years um, to UXO removal. Um, Legacies of War doesn't receive any of this money at all. It goes directly to uh, deminers and demining groups um, directly on the ground, as well as to uh, victims' assistance. In just the last year, uh, Legacies of War was able to advocate for record $40 million um, wow. to go towards this cost. Um, the thing is, like like Sarah mentioned, um, we definitely believe that this is an issue that has an end in sight and that can be fixed within, well, not fixed, but addressed, addressed within our lifetime. Um, and it's not, it's not an infinite issue. There's a, there's a finite point. The United States put all these unexploded bombs in Laos and, you know, should be the one to really take, really take the lead on um, those efforts to remove what um, the United States put there. Um, so, you know, that's why, that's why we keep fighting for, for funding, um, especially funding um, directly, from, directly from the United States government to address this issue, you know, being the ones, being the ones that are chiefly responsible for uh, what people on the ground in Laos face today. 
Um, you know, I think like to to be able to actually answer your question, Tom, like I think it's so important to to just take a step back even further, right? Like on how this happened in the first place. Like uh even before nineteen sixty four, right? Um now the American public did not know this until nineteen seventy one, right? Um, because Laos, it's like a world away. Um, no one even knew where Laos was. No one even has heard of Laos during this time. But taking a step back to even prior to the 60s, looking at the 50s, right? What was happening in the world during that time? Cold War, right? Like it was all this big fight against communism, um, you know, of how horrible communism is and how bad that government is if they're if they're not aligned with us, right? So all the superpowers were battling over like South like we're talking about Laos right now, but let's just broader, right? Expanding of Southeast Asia. Now the US actually had like the CIA was actually in Laos in nineteen fifty-nine. We didn't we didn't declare it, right? We didn't like it, the American public never knew. Um, Laos was not declared as being like a place that we were at war with. But just remember, we were there since 1959. But in 1962, there was an agreement that was signed in Geneva, right? At the UN level, 14 countries involved in signing this treaty, this, um, this uh, agreement saying that all of us will leave Laos neutral. We won't be in Laos. Laos will not be part of what's happening right next door in Vietnam. But no, like we broke that agreement by having like a secret operation in Laos, right? Hence why the name Secret War. But something else, you know, I we won't really get into the, the details, but these are things that I think it's important for us as, you know, as citizens of this country to really understand the history, but not just understand it, but question it and also hold ourselves accountable as Americans, right? I believe that there are many, many um, things that we are as a country, and it's it's up to us to choose what that is, right? Like, um, do we resolve, you know, our past mistakes, or do we just turn a blind eye and ignore it? I think Americans, the majority, would want to do the right thing. Um, one thing that I'll leave like the listeners with is. Ask yourself, like, why was there 14 countries involved in making a decision about Laos? What role did they have? You know, I'll share one with you. Like, how did Americans, how, how was American able to even fly the planes? Because there was a base right next door in Thailand. So without a base in Thailand, there would have been no bombing mission. They would have to find something else, right? And in addition to American troops, how was Australia involved? Australia had an air force like that was an ally to the U.S. during this time, right? There were people fighting on the ground in Laos as well. And where did these soldiers come from? Next door, right? Thailand. So there's this war, like it's not just between Laos, America, Vietnam, Cambodia, or any of it. There's so much more involvement in this. And it's these, um, you know, combination of various leaders sitting in a room, like making these decisions about a people and a country that 
had no say, right? So, you know, there, there's a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions that, um, you know, come with the territory, if you will. Like, as someone who is a Lao American, who was actually born and raised in Laos, like, I can still speak it, have family there. Um, my parents never taught me to hate, you know. Um, I actually have a blog, uh, loveisfly.blog. I write about, a lot about just, things that my parents have shared, you know, things that my aunts and uncle have shared. But one of the stories that I remember um, so vividly is like, you know, my father, to me, he is like the extemporary humanitarian of all humanitarians. You know, he became a doctor and later on a monk. But one of the things that he once shared with me was there was a couple of American soldiers who were lost and he actually helped like point the way, right? Um, to them and share this with them. But uh, one of his friends asked, like, why did you help them? They're the enemy. You know that they're bombing us. But, you know, my father's response was like, you know, during times of war, um, it's it's not like there there's not a lot of control. And especially of these young men who are barely 20, right, that are sent to this foreign country and they're told to do this told to drop the bombs, told to just, you know, do it in any, any of these targets, regardless of who was there. Um, is it right? No, but, um, you know, we, we can't judge what happened in the past, but what we can do is teach our children better. And I think, you know, my, my children, I mean, not, I don't have any children, my, my siblings and I, right, like we were taught to, um, to move forward and to do the right thing, right? And to do what we can, do as much good as we can with the power that we have. And, you know, this is like the biggest reasons why um, I'm so committed to our mission in making sure that like we have the power now because we know how to do it. And we just have to make sure the resources are there in order to change the future for future generation, right? Like. I don't like I think the the burden of this war and of the legacies of it has been carried far too long for many generations that weren't even born yet, right? That I think we need to do right by the next generation and resolve this for them so that they don't have to carry this burden. Like we should finish the job within our lifetime. Yeah, I was looking at it through the lens of a teacher when I was preparing for this. And uh, I was, while you were talking, I was uh, going through my notes here and I forgot to write down, um, was it the Hardy Papers? Um, it was the the Senate subcommittee who investigated this like way back. And I was looking at that like, wow, that's, that's actually, it's a really easy read. Although it's a primary source document, that would be like super easy for students to read and digest. And even in like the final summation of that in like the final paragraph, it says that like, and maybe I'll mess up the pronunciation here, but like, even though the, the Patet Lao has responsibility to bear, like the bombing and the bombings and the plane of jars are, are from the United States. And this is caused by them. And that was really interesting to see even back then. Um, but I know you've done a lot of work with pushing for Lao 
American education within the, the curriculum here. And I guess I still sort of have the same question in that you are a really small team. What, how do you point to your success in, in procuring funds and, and pushing for legislation and, and pushing for the inclusion of curriculum and being successful? Alina, do you want to take that? <laughs> yes. Quick answer, it takes a village to move all these mountains. Um, Tim, we, we have only three full-time staff members and currently two interns. Um, and we, we really can't do the things that we do without you know the support of our amazing board. We currently have 16 board members. 18. But 18, 18 now. <laughs> Keep forgetting. You know, we're, we're, we're growing, but it, it's a lot of work. It's, it's uh, a lot of uh, making sure that we can continue to make outreach, educate people. Um, one of the quick things people can do right now is take out their phone and open up your Instagram. And whoa, what's that? Put in Legacies of War into the search box and like our page. You know, we, we aren't able to do the things that we do without having the reach that we have. I'd like to say that we are sort of everyone's friend. <laughs> we are convening unlikely allies who have the mutual interest of putting this as a priority to clear Laos. We have the mutual interest that we want to make sure, you know, indiscriminate weapons are banned. Um, so it's a lot of collaborations, uh, a lot of working with our partner organizations, including de-mining teams on the ground who are doing the work right now, such as the Mines Advisory Group and the Halo Trust. And with them, you know, we also make sure that we're all echoing the same, uh, the same message to our congressional leaders to say, we need champions to really lead this. We need to work together to make sure that this happens. Um, so it, it takes a lot of effort, but all of us kind of play a role in it. And I touched on this too, that you know the history is there, we all know it. And some people might think of this as just a Laos story, but it's an American one. And until we continue to keep repeating that, that it belongs, in U.S. history books, that this was an issue caused by the U.S., so it should be talked about, be, like it has always been a part of U.S. history, you know. And once we start to normalize that, then we can kind of see how this affects and impacts every American, not just now or in the past, but in the future. Um, and I hope we continue to think of history in that way as well. Um, so. You know, those are like a couple of ways that I think, you know, we, we kind of use what power we have. Um, but I want everyone to know that, you know, there's always ways that people can be involved and help us. And we're always looking for people to join our family. It's, it's a tribe. It's a whole village. And we're not excluding anyone from it. You know, so please follow us on social media. Um, another great way to kind of get involved is our newsletter. Uh, 
once you sign up for our newsletter, you're kind of going to get, you know, all the updates on what we're currently doing, um, the progress of our work. Um, we want to reach everyone through LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and we also have two really fun programs that we do, which is the SIPCAL Talks, um, where we invite speakers to join us on a virtual webinar and we stream it live on Facebook and, and kind of cover a variety of certain topics. So there's the SIPCAL. And for those who don't know what a SIPCAL is, it is a sticky rice um, basket. Uh, and sticky rice or kaunil um, in Laos is like the staple. You have it at every meal. Um, so instead of a brown bag lunch series, we call it the Dipcal Talk series. <laughs> um, and then another uh, initiative is the Legacies Library. And this is a new initiative that we just launched um, recently. And this is where we kind of keep a repository of books, oral history, um, films, artwork uh, that covers all that you don't learn in school. You know, this is a way for us to record those narratives that we said, you know, we're trying to put together to make this big puzzle piece uh, or this big puzzle. Um, but the Legacies Library is free to the public. It's to provide access to a lot of these materials that you wouldn't really see. Um, and we have a lot of really great film dates. So I do want to encourage everyone who's listening to check these out because you might be able to see a film that you can't catch at the cinema um, or on TV. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, exclusive access that we kind of provide through Legacies Library. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fun being with Legacies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the best way to say it is just come join us. Uh, come be a part of this this movement um, with us. Yeah, um, I think like you know one of the the my favorite thing about Legacies is our leadership pipeline, and this is our internship program um, as well as our alumni circle. And since like um, Brendan is the face of our alumni circle, <laughs> I would love for him to share a little bit more about what that is. So um, thanks, Sarah. Like. Um, the Lumhole Circle is, it's our giving circle, um, and it's an opportunity to help donate to, to Legacy so that we can further our mission um, on a recurrent basis. And just for a little bit of, a little bit of um, background on um, what, what Lambong is, um, Lambong is a, it's a traditional, it's a traditional Laotian dance. It's a circle dance. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different groups um, in, in throughout Southeast Asia that have, have really similar um, circle dances um and you mentioned cambodia a little bit earlier and it's really near and dear to my heart spent some time there and um similarly they call it rombong but um in in in, in laos um it's it's known as is this lombong circle and you know i think for a lot of americans for a lot of americans we have this we have this way of looking looking at the world right where uh the universe the universe was born on july 4th 1776 and nothing before that nothing before that or outside of that really mattered to us, but it's really easy to forget that, you know, there's these just beautiful cultures and beautiful groups that have been around since time immemorial and have all these, have all these beautiful customs. And, 
you know, one of these things is, 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 is love bomb. Um, that's one of the things that has, come, that has come out of Laos that is, is really beautiful. You know, before these troubles began, people, people danced. And while they were happening, they, they danced and they continued to dance into the future. And we invite you to join in our Lombong circle so that, you know, you can dance with us as we, as we solve this problem and, you know, continue to dance with us one day as we look back on it and say, you know what, remember when this used to be an issue and, you know, look at this, look at this brighter, gentler world that we've built together. Beautifully said, you know, um, and, and joining the Lemon Circle is really, really easy. Um, it's $10 a month or $10 a quarter or $10 a year um, or more. You know, we, we won't stop you if you do $1,000 a month. Uh, certainly not, right? But would love your help. You know, as mentioned before, none of the money that we advocate for comes to legacies of war. And we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that it gets to the ground, you know, folks that are demining like USO Lao, you know, folks doing mine risk education, like world education, for example, survivors and victims who really, really need access to medical care. That's where we want that with the bulk of that money to go. Our organization alone, you know, we have amazing board members, uh, 18 of them. Uh, one is right there behind me. Well, her book is uh, Jessica Paris-Rotundi, who just joined, um, you know, is, is a working board. They help us with fundraising. They help us with advocacy work. They help us building like our Thick Call Talk series, our Legacies Library. Um, and then there's the three of us, right? Like we operate on a shoestring budget of under 350000 a year. So we appreciate any help that, you know, you all can offer. Um, the, the funds that do come to Legacies of War help us fuel these programs, as well as, you know, I mentioned earlier, my favorite thing, our leadership pipeline. Um, the next generation needs to learn how to do this work um, because sadly, you know, there's always going to be problems to solve in, in our world. And we need leaders who know how to do it. We need leaders who know how to talk to members of Congress, write bills, you know, um, help like speak at various events, educate people to do things. And we're doing this with the interns that we have that come through our door. Um, one of the biggest decisions that we made last year is that we made our, all our internship a paid internship because we do not want like um, anything to hinder a young person who wants to learn and who wants to work and be a part of our mission to simply not apply because they need to have an internship that is a paid internship. You know, we recognize like everyone's coming from different social economic background and we want to make sure that we offer this opportunity to everyone regardless of that. So our internships, you know, are fueled by donations coming from folks like, you know, you, Tim, who like, thank you so much for being a donor and thank you for wearing our shirt as well. Not today, but, you know, we saw your post. All right. So, so we, we see you. I thought um, so about it too. It's going to help mold these students, right? Like, and one of the most unique thing about interning at an organization of just three full-time staff is that our interns get real life experience, you know? They're helping us with our talking points, like when we do our difficult talks. They're helping to send letters to congressional offices. They're helping to design uh, posters on our social media. All of that, you know, we don't have a marketing department. That's our amazing interns right now, Megan and Anna, right? Like um, they, they get to learn real 
things that will be useful to them when they graduate. So, you know, I can't say enough about all the different like programs um, and initiatives that we have, but um, it's a lot and we don't have a secret. The secret is we have the power of a caring community who chip in, you know, um, you know, just for example, today, like there's like four of us writing, <laughs> right? Like doing a shared document, like, um, and there's what probably five of us work on social media posts, but we, we have such great fun because we believe in this work and we know that it can get done. I was, it's funny. I was like, should I wear this shirt? Are they going to think I'm cheesy? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is literally. I was a sad, Tim, when I showed up in my legacy shirt by myself. I'm sorry. Yeah, mine's in the washer because I only have one. You know, I only pay for one shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had this debate with myself. I'm like, do I? Don't I? Um, all right. I, I know I booked you for an hour, so I'm going to squeeze in two questions here maybe to, to close this out. Um, th this could be in another entire episode, but um, so I won't turn it into a question, but th there's been like just a horrifying rise in uh, violence against Asian Americans or maybe it's not a rise and just maybe more of a, an awareness being made about it to, to people. Um, and I've had some people reach out to me and I've even thought like, what do I, what do I do? <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. I, I think that education goes a long way in exposing people to the fact that we're both different and similar and at the root of so much of the stuff that's going on today in our society are like actually common things that, that plague a lot of people. And, um, I say that to say, I think that like just, just furthering the education to people is really important. So I wanted to ask two things. I, I think it's next week is the new year for, uh, for Laos. I, I don't know if in Lao you call it uh Songkran. That's how I've heard it in the past. Um, so I was wondering if you could just talk about that and the meaning of that. And then also if there's anything that you want to plug in terms of, Lao American Lao businesses. Um, I'll throw a couple things out real quick before I give it to you, but you mentioned Thip Cow. <laughs> There's a really wonderful restaurant in Washington, D.C., also called Thip Cow, which was one of my favorite places to eat there when I was there. Um, and then there, um, some folks I've been talking to, I think they're based out of California, but they're called mm -hmm. Lao Supply, and they sell shirts and all, all, like all sorts of stuff. Uh, I bought fish sauce from them, but they've got a really great like social media program where they're just like constantly educating people on businesses and people and music. And I would recommend that anybody go to Instagram and follow them because they're constantly posting really cool stuff. So yeah, to, to summarize that, if, if there's anything you guys want to plug that people should check out. And then also if you could talk about uh Lao new year. Yeah. Um, so maybe I can cover the portion because I actually called my mom to re-educate myself on the exact meaning and 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 just on the updates right and then um, I think Alina I would love for you to talk about the new campaign that we're having coming up um, with you know our gold mantra um, bracelet with article 22 um, oh, cool. and TTB but you know Lao New Year um, it's it's called be my be my Lao right um, it's 
celebrate for three days. And this year it falls under um, April 13th through the 15th. And it's three days and each of the day has a special meaning, right? So the first day is all about like cleansing from the, the prior years, whatever you want to cleanse from. But the tradition is to um, shower the Buddha, right? Like to clean all the Buddhas um, in, in the temple. It's like a very um, religious and cultural um, a ceremony, right? And the second day is supposed to be a day of rest. It's the day that's in between. You're supposed to have fun. And if you were in Laos, this is the day where we would, well, you know, let's just be real. It would be the whole month that we would celebrate. Um, people would throw water, right? Like, would throw water at one another, wishing each other Happy New Year uh, or Sabaidi Bimai. Um, and then the 15th is actually the New Year. And we're on the Buddhist calendar. So the year is actually 2,564. So that is the year, like it, it commemorates like the birth of Buddhism. And, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's very unique. And I've always been fascinated, like, you know, coming to the U.S. for the first time and realizing like, what, it's 1990? <laughs> no, I thought it was 2000 something, right? But um, it's, it's, it's really, really fun. And we, um, you know, it, it's a very, very special time of year, not only for Laos, but, you know, Cambodia also celebrates this, and so does Thailand. Um, but, you know, for us here at Legacies, we we make a big deal out of this time of year, and I would love for Alina to share um, our new campaign that's coming up um, as it relates to tying, tying it, no pun intended, <laughs> into New Year's. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think Tim, Definitely, we'll have to come back for like a part two or something because we just have so much more to discuss, right? Um, you know, Lao New Year has a lot of meanings because in Laos specifically, there is a cultural ceremony called Basi and um, or Sukwan, which literally translates to calling on your soul, you know, calling your soul back. Um, so the symbolism uh with this cultural ceremony is that there is like a you know a cotton string or like even some places use like yarn and um we you know call on each other the community to come together usually during law new year we'll start to tie strings around each other's wrists um just to symbolize renewal call on all the good spirits out with the bad in with the new um and i know this year and beyond has been very hard for a lot of communities, for a lot of people, right? And, you know, before I kind of dive into our upcoming campaigns, I do want to address something really important that you mentioned, which is how education can combat racism. You know, um, legacies of war, we exist because we're disrupting the system in place that is built on racism. You know, um, we think deep into it, the history that is, the secret war history itself, it goes even deeper and it's very complex, right? But um, I do personally don't think there has been, you know, there's more awareness now and I'm very grateful for that, but we have to continue to, to speak out against these acts of violence and especially within the Asian American uh, narrative and within Southeast Asian communities that have been 
left out of these narratives. We have to continue to center those voices. So thank you, Tim. You're already making those steps to amplifying our voice on this podcast. Um, and I hope that continues. And I hope that more and more people um, feel you know, that they can share this space as well, that their voices matter and that our histories matter. Um, so in the spirit of Lao New Year, you know, we're, we're all renewing this. We're new, renewing our passion and our drive to get this issue, you know, resolved. Um, but we also want everyone to know too that we have partners and friends all over who want to do this as well. And so I do want to give a shout out to Article 22. Um, they are, there we go, part of an organization um, that has sort of been with Legacy since the beginning, but they are a, a social entrepreneurship um, company uh, led by um, amazing women. Uh, and, you know, they actually make jewelry and work with Lao artisans and Laos to create these pieces of jewelry made out of remnants left over from the war in Laos. These are made out of bomb casings, um, the shrapnel that's left over. Um, and, you know, the jewelry itself is a way to open up conversations about the war while also, um, you know, the proceeds from each of the jewelry goes back to Legacies of War's mission, as well as to Minds Advisory Group. Um, so I do want to talk about them because we had launched a campaign with them called Trailblazer, um, which was launched last year. And we're continuing that campaign with a new uh, Trailblazer bracelet um, called the Gold Mantra that you know, is in the, the form of a thread that you tie on to someone who you really love and want to give blessings to. Um, and so for Lao New Year, we're partnering up with them, as well as our friends at Tuk Tuk Box, which is a Southeast Asian-owned uh, business, um, Lao American woman, as well as a Filipino uh, Indonesian woman came together and they founded the Tuk Tuk Box as a monthly subscription snack box that features Southeast Asian snacks from all around the world. Um, and, you know, they um, are also donating proceeds to Legacies of War um, during this month as well. And if you do purchase one of their boxes, um, you can get a chance to get one of 17 of these special Article 22 bracelets, the gold mantra bracelets. There's only 17 of them that we're going to put in one of these bracelets. So in order to get or the boxes, in order to get one, you have to get a box. Um, but if you don't have anything to do from now until Thursday, please join us for a Call Talk on April 8th. Uh, we're featuring our friends from Tuk Tuk Box, um, as well as one of our own trailblazers, um, Dr. Steve Arunsak. He worked with us with the Article 22 campaign, um, but we'll be discussing how to turn up the heat for change. Um, and yes, pun intended, because we will be tasting and sampling different hot sauces from all of Southeast Asia. So don't miss out. There are five hot sauces and they get hotter as we start, you know, talking about advocacy and awareness. Um, so join us. It's on Facebook Live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 
4.30 p.m. Pacific time. Don't miss it. Oh. I don't know if this is going to be launched like today or not, but if that's the case. Uh, I'll, I'll do yeah. everything possible to have this out by that time. That's all. I'm looking up uh, as you're speaking. I pulled up Tuk Tuk Box and I'm like, oh my God, there's Indomie in there. That's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Indomie. Yeah. They got, they got it all. <laughs> uh, and, and for those wondering why 17 of the gold mantra is because Legacies turned 17 this year. Hey. Well, it's not food 17 anymore. What is the 17? <laughs> We're 17 this year. Yeah, but I bet like, um, you know how they say sweet 16? 17. Um, like, um, um, savvy? Savvy? 17? I don't know. Um, I don't know, Brendan. You need to come up with this. Um, you know, There's a lot of Brendan right now. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I think like something else too, Tim, that you mentioned, um, any other like shout out to loud businesses. I would also say like Sabayi Boutique made these um, uh, the cow. So they're, they're amazing as well. Um, so check, check them out, you know, on, they have a great Instagram. Um, but I would also reiterate too that, you know, it's going to take the entire community to solve this problem. Um, and, and there's so many people whose lives have been impacted by the story of the secret war, um, both Lao and the broader American public. Right. And like, I just absolutely love this. Like when we launch our legacies library, this was the first book, What We Inherit by Jessica Pierce Tundi. But it really offers a different perspective, you know, of someone who, um, whose uncle, like, was one of the pilots that dropped bombs on Laos. And she goes on this incredible journey to learn more about her own family's history. Um, you know, even though she wasn't even born yet during this time. But check this book out, you know, amazing, amazing, um, like, real story of like a family whose lives have been impacted by it. I love it. Um, everybody knows that whatever you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple or whatever, go to the, to the app and just click on the episode. I'll have a link to the legacies of website and social media follow. If you're not already following my Instagram over the next week or two in conjunction with this episode, I'll do some giveaways as well that, um, are uh, Lao and TV TV inspired. Now that I see these Tuk Tuk boxes, we'll, I'll, I'll do some type of giveaway with that too. So um, I, I always feel cheesy when I say this, but I am not quite so young anymore. I will be 35 years young-ish this year. You're still young, Tim. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> don't say that. Anything under 40 is young. Okay, well, I'll take that. Um, but, but I say that to say that me at 25, um, never could, could have envisioned what my life would have become, even with something as silly as this podcast. Um, I know there are 10 million podcasts out there in in the world today, but this has given me access to places and people, uh, that maybe I have no business being in and talking to, but have enriched my lives in ways that truly I could never have dreamed would have been possible. So I say that to say I've, I've admired your organization since, uh, since I've known about it and it's really an honor and a pleasure to talk to you today and to, to have your trust in sharing your story on my platform. So thank you to all three of you. And I hope to, uh, to keep in touch and maybe to get some advice from you about any 
celebrations next week that you know about in New York City. I'd love to hear those. So, <laughs> so just thank you all. Yeah, thanks so much, Tim, for having us. It was a great honor. Hey, everyone. That is a wrap on episode 219 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Sarah, Brendan, Alina. This was really, really cool and really meaningful to me. So thank you for allowing me to share your story and your work and your advocacy on my platform. Folks, if you are if you were particularly interested in this story and you want to hear from more uh, Lao American voices, I've got a bunch. So go back through through the catalog of episodes and check some of those out too if you haven't done that already. Also, if you're able to, liking, subscribing, leaving a positive review, um, telling your friends about the podcast, all those things help me get into the algorithms and, and help make the, the podcast uh, a bit viral. So if you're able to do that, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon.